Krishna. Welcome to our Sunday class. It is um, February 23rd, 2020, for posterity in Coronado, California. So uh, we are going to begin in the first canto, of course. Um, okay, there we go. First canto, chapter five, text 18. <clears throat> One, five, 18. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So by probably offer our respects, obeisances to Sri Prabhupada, by his mercy, we can understand or try to understand something of the Bhagavatam. So 1518, Tasyaiva Back to the so Tasyaivahito Prayatita Kovido Nalabyate Jad Brahmatam Uparyadhat Talabyate Dukavat Anyatat Sukam Kalena Sarvatra Gavira Ramasa. Well that kind of says it all. I think I better turn off the uh Sound on my cell phone so we don't keep getting beeped in the middle of the class. So, Tasyaiva Hito, for that reason alone. Hito, which of course is a form of the, the word Hetu. Hetu in Sanskrit can be a cause, but as I've often explained, it can also be a mental or psychological cause, which in English we call a motive, a motive, motivation. Motivation is simply a mental force that causes you to do something. So here, heto means uh, for a reason, for a cause, for a motive. And tasyaiva, for that alone, tasyaiva, for that reason alone, for that purpose or motive alone, prayateta, one should endeavor. This is a... Uh, form of the verb, prayateta, called optative grammatically, which means one should do it. Tasyaivaheto, for that reason alone, one should endeavor, who? Actually, it's not one, it's kovida, an intelligent person, a wise person. Prabhupada translates kovida, one who is philosophically inclined. And then in, that's in the uh, synonyms in the translation, he says persons who are actually intelligent and philosophically inclined. So that's kovida. So an actually intelligent person should endeavor, because in this world, you know, we try for this, we try for that, we're trying to get and do so many things. But the Bhagavatam here says there's only one thing you should really endeavor for if you're intelligent. And it is something which nalabhyate is not achieved, or probably is not obtained, is not obtained jad brahmatam, by those who are wandering up, up and down, above and below. In other, and everywhere in between, of course, is the idea here. 
so this is very interesting because, uh, well, let's finish the verse and we'll talk about this. Nalabhyate, it's not achieved, it's not obtained. Jad Brahmatam, for those who are wandering all over the places, all over the universe, high and low, up and down. Talabhyate, but that is achieved. Now, again, remember, The verse has still not explained what it is we're trying for. Actually, I suppose when it says tasyaiva for that alone, perhaps if we go back to the previous verse, the previous verse says, uh, of course, it talks about uh, giving up one's material duties and worshiping the lotus feet of the Lord. So that's really what it's talking about. But of course, this verse says you should try for that alone. And then in the next verse, 1519, We'll get more information about what we're supposed to be trying for. So talabhyate, that is obtained. So it's nalabhyate, it's not obtained by wandering all over the universe. Talabhyate, but it is obtained, it is achieved. Uh, Dukavat anyatak sukam. Actually, it's it's, it's slightly different. Talabhyate dukavat anyatak sukam. Happiness. We all want happiness. Okay, here's the point. All kind of this verse is uh, what's the word? It's uh, it's it's an intricate verse, and so I'm going to try to make it very simple. Uh, the idea here is that uh, we all want happiness, right? I mean, we all want to be happy, and so the Bhagavatam is saying here, "Tut," and then "Sukam" comes at the end of the line. So it's you have to know Sanskrit a bit uh, that that happiness that we all want is obtained from something else. So what does that mean from something else? It means not from our endeavors because intelligent people don't endeavor for happiness wandering all over the universe, which is what, you know, most people do right now. Of course, we're just uh, sort of local on one planet, but we're, we're just always looking for happiness whether it's in a relationship, like I'm not satisfied or I wasn't satisfied with that relationship. I need a new relationship or I need another friend or I need, I don't like where I'm living. I want to live somewhere else. I want a different house, a different neighborhood, a different place to live. Or, you know, there's all kinds of things uh, that we try for, or I need to read another book or something something. I need another position. I need to advance in my career. I need to travel. I need to travel. I need to get away. I mean, materially, you actually do need to get away sometimes. It's not that it's not that we don't have to do all these things, but it's not going to give us the real happiness we're looking for. As a matter of routine, sure, sometimes studies show that if you take occasional vacations, you'll be healthier. You'll be more productive in your work. And sometimes we are in the wrong neighborhood or in the wrong house and uh, we need a change or sometimes we're in a bad relationship. We need to get out of it or to find another relationship. So it's not that we don't do any of these things. It's simply that these things by themselves, these things alone will not satisfy us, will not bring us the happiness we like, we, we, we seek. 
And so these things have no power to satisfy us by themselves. So the verse says, So that happiness that we're looking for, like unhappiness, comes from something else. And of course, as Prabhupada explains, uh, we don't, well, most people don't look for unhappiness. There are some psych- types of psychological disorder in which someone looks for pain or misery or suffering, but that's something else. But let's say people who are in a reasonably healthy emotional state don't look for trouble. So so just as ha- unhappiness comes by itself, happiness will come by itself. And how will it come? Kalena sarvatra gavira rangasa. It comes sarvatra everywhere. In other words, it's true for everyone. It happens everywhere by the force of time. Prabhupada translates it here in course of time. Of course, we have to understand that time here also means destiny. Uh, I won't go into all the technical explanations, but if you look at how the word call is used uh, throughout the Bhagavatam and, and our literature in general, it means destiny because time, as I've explained many times, is not simply a counting system, like a measuring system. You measure time by measuring some type of physical movement, such as, uh, let's say, a digital watch or a, or a, what do they call it, a um, sand clock. What do they call it? The hourglass. Hourglass, where, where you know, sand, go, you know, pours down from one from the top to the bottom with a thin middle. And so it takes exactly a certain amount of time for the sand to go down and you can measure proportionally. So there, there are hourglasses, there are sundials. You can see where the sun is. There are of course clocks. There's all kinds of ways of measuring time. But here the word kala doesn't mean simply some system of measuring. And, and you know, but it actually means the force that drives things forward in time. If you think about it, uh, we are, time is not just happening to us, but there's a sense in which, although time is moving and we are being, we are being taken along for the ride. We can't stop that. For example, whatever you were thinking, let's say one minute ago, whoever you were one minute ago, it's, it's, it's you know, you're not there now. It's just like if you're, in, it, it's a medium that, you know, that's why we talk about space time and, and, and Einstein talks about space time. If you're in a room and then you walk out of the room into another room or just outside, you're not in that room anymore. And so, uh, but the difference, I mean, imagine if you were being forced, if you were being driven to go from this place to that place, from this room to that room, and someone was just driving you. Well, that's something like time. Because, for example, the present five minutes ago is not the present now. The world that existed five minutes ago doesn't exist anymore. We have been driven into a new time dimension. Interesting. I mean, time is actually very interesting. And, of course, Krishna says in the Gita, time I am. In chapter 11, when Arjuna says, who are you? Ko Bhavan. Who are you? Uh, Ugra Rupa in this terrifying form. Who are you? Uh, Krishna says, Kalos me, time I am. And Loka Kshayakrit, destroyer of the worlds. 
what's interesting here, when Krishna says time I am, he defines time as a power that destroys things. Normally when you say like, what time is it? You don't mean what world destroyer is it, right? What time is it? What world destroyer? But that's what Krishna says time is. And obviously there are hours and minutes and seconds and in uh, ancient India, they had their own way of measuring these things. Actually they have more. We have, we sort of have hours, uh, we have days, hours, minutes, and seconds. They had a whole elaborate system uh, for measuring time. But anyway, Krishna defines time as a power, as a person who, who is doing something to the world, which is very interesting. So keep that concept of time in mind. Then we go back to the last line of this verse, kalena, by time. And of course, Krishna here defines time as gabhira ranghasa. Very interesting, gabhira. Uh, actually, if you don't mind, if you can take it, uh, I'll tell you what these words mean. Gavita means deep, profound, uh, grave, serious. It can also mean dense, impervious, like you can't figure it out. Not to be penetrated or investigated or explored. Inscrutable, inexhaustible. So, so this is Gavita something which is deep and hard to figure out and uh, inexhaustible, it can't be stopped. And then Gabita Ranghasa, which the word is Ranghas, and it's by the Ranghas, Ranghasa. So let's see what that means, what these words actually mean. Ranghas, or in this case, uh, oops, put it in the wrong box here. It's tough being infallible. It's a challenge every day. So, uh, rangas means speed, quickness, or velocity, and also sort of an impetuosity, an eagerness. And there was like, it's just, it'll go here and go there. And, and of course, speed is power, right? Like, let's say someone just tosses a little pencil at you, it's just going to, you won't, you'll hardly feel it. But let's say that same pencil is going like 100 miles an hour, it'll go right through you and, you know, perhaps uh, end your, the life of your body. So, so speed is power. So time is said to be moving here with this sort of impetuous, this inscrutable, uh, mysterious speed, velocity. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting, uh, concept here. But that's how Krishna describes time. It's moving everywhere with this uh, sort of unpredictable, impetuous, powerful speed and velocity, time. And it is this power in the universe, which is Krishna. In fact, it's said in the Vedas that when Krishna glances over the uh, total material energy or pradana and, and rouses it into activity. It is the glance of time, that glance, Saikshita, the Vedas said, say that he glanced or he looked. And that's the, that's the, that's time. That's the force of time. Because when a new creation is taking place, first of all, the only reason the creation takes place 
in the first place is because there are a whole bunch of souls. There are a lot of souls that have a lot of karma they've got to work through. And so what rouses matter into motion is that that karma, you know, Krishna pushes the on button and all that karma suddenly becomes active again. And the only way karma can be delivered to you is if material nature is responding to that karma and creating situations, bodies, uh, worlds in which you can receive your karma. And, and, and of course, one of the worst parts about karma is you have to make new karma. Because if you're in the system, uh, you can't stop. I mean, if you think about that, we, we don't often talk about that. But in other words, if we are on the material platform, if we are on the material platform, we're in the material world and we are in the world of karma, then not only are you, are we receiving our karma, but we cannot stop making new karma, which is what Krishna says. No one, which means really no one, actually no one, even for a moment, Jatu uh, ever tishtati can remain a karma crit without doing some karma, without doing something. Of course, Prophet also takes this to mean the soul is always active. So Krishna says, talking about karma, that you once you're in the system, you can't stop doing it. You you have to keep moving. And every time you move, that's new karma. Of course, the solution is to as we know, join the Hare Krishna movement in the sense of take up, take up bhakti yoga, take up Krishna consciousness, and then we are on a spiritual plane. And even then we're active. So anyway, um, so that's what this verse is saying. That's what it's really about. It's saying that considering the nature of kala, time, which is this deep, inscrutable, like you can't figure it out, this deep velocity, this power in the world, that just as you get uh, unhappiness, you're not sure exactly why you're getting it, but you get it. You'll get happiness also sometimes when you least expect it. And often, of course, we don't get it when we most expect it. But so therefore, considering the nature of this world, considering what a goofy place we live in, in a sense, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant creation by Krishna, but it's kind of ridiculous to choose to be here. So considering the world that we're in, an intelligent person does not endeavor for material life, but rather for some other reason. And so we'll go to the next verse. Uh, and, and, and an intelligent person just tries to be Krishna conscious. That, that's, the, that's the point here. So then we'll do one more verse. Navai jano jatu katanchana brajain mukunda save yanyavat anga sangsitin smaran mukundangri upaguhanam punar vihatum ichain na rasa grahojana. Amazing verse. Amazing verse. So it says that. 
<coughs> Jano, the person. Uh, I'm going to, the Sanskrit word order, I won't go into all the gram grammatical reasons, but it's not English word order. We have, uh, so I'm going to put it into an English word order so you understand it. That. So the subject here is a person, Jana, who is Mukunda Sevi, who serves, a servant of Mukunda, or a person who serves Mukunda. Seva, as we know, means service. Sevi, the person who serves. Or as Prabhupada translates it here, devotee of the Lord. So a person who is a devotee of the Lord, servant of the Lord, uh, does not ever, na jatu, jatu means ever and na jatu means never in Sanskrit. So and, and in vai indeed, never indeed does a person who has served the Lord, katanchana, under any circumstances or literally in any way, does not in any way, at any time, avrajain, undergo uh, anyavat, like other people, anga, oh, uh, dear uh, person, sangsutim, uh, sangsutim is just sangsara, it's the same word. Uh, it's just formed a different way, sangsriti, sangsara. So, avrajait, um, is an interesting word which Prabhupada translates undergo. Uh, and um, it means, I'll read you from the dictionary. I think it's interesting. Uh, actually, literally means to come back to, to return to. And uh, which can mean to undergo, because if you were there before and you come back or return to something, uh, that means you undergo it. So the idea is, uh, without getting too technical here, in Sanskrit, the prefix ah can reverse the direction of the verb that follows. For example, if you say gachati in Sanskrit, it means he goes. If you say agachati, it means he comes. So it's the reverse. And so vraj, and we know vraja, you know, Vrindavan, but there's also a verb in Sanskrit, vraj. In fact, vraja can mean the place where the cows go, but vraj in Sanskrit as a verb can mean to go. And so avraj means to come back. Like you went and now you're coming back. And so that's the idea here in this verse that uh, we were in material life. We were suffering in material life. Then we take, uh, we become Mukunda Sevi. We try to become servants of Mukunda. And because we did that, uh, a person who is or was a servant of Mukunda will, will never in any way go back or come back to sangsriti, sangsara, material life, anyavat, like other people who are not devotees. Why? Why won't you ever? And we know that if you, if you really, at some point in your life, even in your mind or in some prayer or chanting, gave yourself to Krishna, I mean, you know, most devotees at some point in their life said, Krishna, please save me, please help me, I, you know, and uh, just, you know, do whatever it takes, which is, of course, a dangerous prayer. But anyway, you know, somehow or other, bring me to Krishna consciousness. 
And so if you've done that, then uh, then you get a taste. And then the Bhagavan says, Smaran, remembering Mukundangriupaguhanam, remembering the embrace of Mukunda's feet, literally. Because at one point, and of course, it, it may not mean that we physically embrace it, like why we say, like, you know, Bande Guru Sri Chadanaravinda, that I worship the lotus, I serve the lotus feet of the guru, doesn't mean that every good disciple has to become a pedicurist. I mean, because, you know, very few disciples of Prabhupada literally physically served his feet. But of course, the feet there is symbolic. It means humility, like rendering humble service, really surrendering, rendering humble service. So here it said, and of course, mentally one can embrace Mukunda's feet, but here it said, remembering when you, because if you're, if you, if you really accepted Krishna, even if we're not doing so well, even if we have problems, obstacles, attachments, you know, welcome to the material world. So even though we're imperfect, even though we have our issues, but we really do want to serve Krishna. We really do want to serve Krishna. And we really have, you know, each in their own way, we really have embraced the feet of Mukunda at some time in our existence. And so the Bhagavatam says, remembering that, punar vihatumi chena, a person cannot desire to uh, let go of Krishna, to, to, to give up Krishna consciousness. Even if one has fallen, even if outwardly one appears to be not the uh, greatest thing that ever happened to Bhakti Yoga. So outwardly, you know, we may look like this or like that, but if in your heart, you really, I mean, first of all, we recognize that we're not sahajyas. We don't try to interpret our fallen state as some kind of ecstatic spirituality. But even if we're fallen, even if we're not doing so well or not as well as we'd like to do, but we're honest about it. We recognize, yeah, that's, you know, I wish I could do better. That's, I'm trying, but that's where I am now. So smaran mukundangri I'm remembering the taste, remembering that, that embrace of Mukunda's feet. One cannot wish to give that up, to give up Krishna consciousness. Because that person, and the word jana is repeated, very interesting, the word jana is repeated again. That's a little unusual in Sanskrit composition. And therefore, it's, it's quite, it, it's, you know, it's sort of emphatic and interesting. The verse began, navai jano jatu, that uh, a person who has, and again, it says that person uh, is rasa graha, Rasa, you know, it's the taste of Krishna consciousness. And graha, which we still have in English and from Sanskrit, graha in English is grasp or grab. So they actually have the word grab in Sanskrit. They pronounce it grub, G-R-A-B-H, but it actually means grab. So, and similarly, graha. So because one who has grasped, who has uh, relished, Prabhupada translates as relished, the mellow, one who has grasped, one who has taken, accepted, or, or relished the mellow, the rasa, a real Krishna consciousness can never desire to give it up, to give it up. And so, uh, therefore, 
because a devotee, a real devotee who really tried to serve Krishna and in their heart wants to serve Krishna, does not want to be fallen, does not want to have these bad habits or whatever, uh, does not want to forget Krishna, but it is just sort of slogging their way through, you know, working your way through whatever you've got to go through to, to get to purity. And so that person, uh, the Bhagavatam says, is always a devotee and remembers the taste of Krishna consciousness and can never give up Krishna or Krishna consciousness. So uh, we'll stop there. Now we're going to see if we have any questions. Uh, let's see. Nope, no questions. Well, uh, I guess that lets me off the hook. So um, thank you all very much for listening and hope to see you. Well, <laughs> I hope to, you'll see you. I'll see you on the list uh, very soon. Hare Krishna.